Welcome to the MentalCast, powered by Soul Performance Academy, and I'm your host, Dan Mickle. MentalCast is a weekly podcast dedicated to the discussions around mental performance, coaching, and other great topics for life learners. For more information, visit danmickle.com and 717soul.com. And you can always reach the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at 717soul. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of The Mental Cast. I am your host, Dan Mickle, and as usual, you can reach out to me across the social media platforms using at 717soul, or you can hit us up with the hashtag ask717soul, and hopefully we'll use your questions in a future episode. And in this episode, we are going to talk about accountability. So episode five, titled Be A Tim. Why did I call it Be A Tim? So the backstory really is I have a friend, former co-worker, mentor. We've had pretty much every type of professional relationship that you can. I was his boss. He was my boss. We were co-workers. Um, just a crazy intertwining of our paths. But he had a great knack of holding me accountable. And to this day, he still does. As a matter of fact, this episode was supposed to be released about a week ago, and I just got behind with work and other real-life stuff. And almost every day, I would get a text message from Tim saying, hey, great episode, of course being sarcastic because there was no episode up. And I would get random text messages and jokes about how... I said I was going to release these weekly, and they're not coming out weekly, and he really is holding me to task about it, and I thought, man, this would be a great topic to talk about, so let's look at accountability. So my tribute to Tim is I am calling this episode, Be a Tim, and I want everyone to be a Tim. Let's look at accountability. Why do we have accountability? What do we need accountability for? whether it's professional in your job, your day-to-day employment, or maybe you're a coach and you're looking at accountability for your staff or maybe even for you or your players. But what does that really mean? What does that really look like to you? In episode two, we talked about goal setting and we talked about how I kind of added on to the SMART goal-setting plan and added some additional letters, and one of them was the S, the second S, and made it smartest, and in that S, I said it stood for seek, for seeking help, and that's really what I think about when I think about accountability. It is a way for you to have help in your goals and your process and what you're doing. It is a way to maybe have validation that you're on the right track or maybe that you're getting off a track a little bit. But we have those moments of accountability. And in an instance with Tim, he likes my podcast. He's probably one of five people, but thank you. And um, he holds me to the fact that I need to get them done. And that's his accountability. So I don't really have to go out and seek accountability in this instance because Tim automatically does it. And I am very thankful for that because otherwise it'd sit on the back burner. And that's really what I'm talking about when it comes to accountability and putting things on back burners. We all know that I am huge on journaling and goal setting, not not overly goal setting, but basic goal setting. And one of the key components is that there has to be some sort of 
accountability. So how are you held to your processes and to your path and your roadmap for your goals without accountability? It's really tough to do. And it can be self-accountability. It can be stranger accountability. It can be friends, family, peers. There's a lot of different ways. And that's kind of what we want to explore. And the first one that I really want to talk about is self-accountability. How do you hold yourself accountable for what you want to do? How do you wake up every day and say, this is my plan for today, and my plans for today fit into my plans for this week, and this week fits into this month, this month fits into the year, this year fits into my lifetime. But how do you know you're on track? How do you stay on track? One of the ways I do it, and I've mentioned it before in other podcasts, is I write on my mirror with a dry erase marker. Don't use a Sharpie. Your wife will hate you if she's the one that cleans your mirrors. Um, but I write what my current goals are or what I'm doing on the mirror. So every morning when I get up and I'm going through my morning routines and I'm brushing my teeth and I'm looking at my beautiful face, that's a joke by the way, in the mirror I see what my goals are and I'm holding myself accountable. Now, this is where the big breakdown is with self-accountability. I can easily just say, oh yeah, I'm going to do that today and just move on and forget to ticket. And there's a million apps out there, reminders and accountability, but they at some point I think they just become noise, right? How many times does your phone go off and you know exactly what it is? It's your reminder for this or your reminder for that. You don't even look at the phone. You just hit the button to silence it. Kind of defeats the purpose of putting that task or that reminder in your phone. And that's where self accountability can really falter is that we can just push it on the back burner and say we're going to do it or convince ourselves we're going to do it. The other way is having a friend or someone close to you. Now, that sounds pretty simple, but there are some some pitfalls to this. We all have that friend that is either too generous and they'll be like, oh, it's okay, you didn't get it done. You can do it tomorrow. And they're just overly praising you even though you really weren't being accountable for what you did or didn't do. And then we also have that friend that's like a drill sergeant that will just verbally murder you for not meeting your goals or sticking to task and being held accountable. So that could obviously have a demotivating factor if they're a little bit too hardcore on your accountability. So another option that you can look at is maybe creating or joining a Facebook group or a social media group, which might have slight acquaintances or even strangers that you're holding yourself to. Um, I did a test group when I was creating my book and my journal for journaling, and I made sure I had a mixture of people I knew and didn't know. And it was really interesting to me how many people that I didn't know were actually relying on the other people that they had no connection to in the text group to um, to keep them motivated and keep them on track with their goals. So I think in today's age, it's a lot easier to maybe have strangers or slight acquaintances help you with your accountability and you know, kind of kind of keeping you on track there. 
So that's always an option. You know, maybe you're looking at doing weight loss. So maybe your sister, your brother, your mother, your father isn't your best option to have to hold you accountable. Maybe the best option is to create a Facebook group and invite a few people that you may have very little connection with or friends of friends that you may trust and you know check in with that group every day and discuss and talk with that group every day so it creates sort of a safe space for you to discuss something like weight loss for example and not have to worry about getting blasted publicly about it but you're also not going to get coddled because they don't want to hurt your feelings or you know they're that close to you i think that's actually one of the the best benefits of social media. Um, we talk about all the downsides and the negatives of social media, but I think one of the pauses is it's a great way to find support that you may not have otherwise been able to find. Uh, another prime example personally for me is when I had my Bell's Palsy episode. I didn't really know anyone that had Bell's Palsy or had gone through it, so I didn't really know who to reach out to. And I found a great group on Facebook of people that kind of went through it and had the same situation. So it was really cool to talk to them and, and discuss and try and figure things out um, what I was going through, but not feel like I was being coddled because they were worried about my health overall and our friendship, but they also weren't cold strangers. It, it was a great little group, and, and I'm glad I had a chance to do it. So I would suggest maybe if you're going through something or trying something, it doesn't have to be going through something in a bad sense. You could just be uh, maybe you want to try running a marathon, and you've never done that. Maybe look for a marathon group on Facebook with people that you don't know, and they can help you out. Now, obviously, you have to worry about the trolls and the people that are going to slam you, but you should be able to find a pretty good group or create a group that's going to help you. That's probably the best example that I can give personally, but again, it goes back to what method and style do you need to be motivated? What is your intrinsic motivation and how do you handle it? Do you need someone maybe to coddle you more and hold you accountable? We can still hold people accountable and be overly nice about it. We don't have to be jerks. We don't have to be, you know, mothering either. There can be that fine line and we can go either way on that scale. But the key is you have to find someone, that outside source, that fits. And it may take a while. Don't expect it to happen right away. So that's basically what we're going to talk about. And that's pretty my long-winded introduction and giving away everything. So I hope you stick with me. We'll be right back. I have to plug my book really quick because I want to send my kids to college. So feel free uh, check out this quick, very quick advertisement for my book, The Don't Suck Performance Journal. And then when we get back, we'll dive into the science and the meat of this topic of accountability. Be right back. Hey everyone, this is Dan Mickle with Soul Performance Academy. Just dropping you a quick line to let you know that the 2019 Don't Suck Performance Journal is now available to order online. Help take your game or craft to the next level with this great four-month journal. From goal setting to meditation, this journal is a must-have for anyone who's serious about getting to the next level, whether you're an athlete, a musician, or in the corporate world. Learn more and order online at 717soul.com slash 
DSPJ. That's 717sold.com slash DSPJ. And remember, don't suck. Okay, welcome back. Hopefully you clicked on that and bought a book so I can send my kids to college and buy them braces and what other shameless things I can do with all that money that I'm sure to make from my book. That is sarcasm in case you didn't notice it. Anyway, back to accountability. Um, the Chopra Center has a great um, listing of the types of accountability and I've included the link in the description of this episode that you can click on it but I just want to kind of go through what they have as the five types of accountability and I think it's a great starting reference. One is tell a friend and we talked about this in the intro and the beginning part that that's the easiest way to do it. You know find someone that you can share your goals with, someone that you're close with that loves you, um, that's going to hold you accountable, but maybe not be like a drill sergeant to you. And it's one that's going to support you completely, even if they don't agree with what you're trying to do. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean that maybe they don't want you to run for office or maybe they don't want you to, I don't know, pursue a certain degree, but they realize that it's something that you want to do so that they are going to, you know, wholeheartedly then support your goal once you're set on it, as long as it's you know healthy and not harming yourself or others. Second is what we talked about with Facebook. It's join an accountability group. Find a group or find a way to join someone that's going to hold you accountable. And really the concept has been around, obviously, for thousands of years. For example, a, a book club. The idea of a book club isn't just because you all like a book, but maybe it's holding you accountable to read certain types of book or to expand your knowledge in a certain way, a certain type of book club, get you out of your comfort zone a little bit. And if you have to read so many chapters so that you can discuss next week the book with your peers or the rest of your group, you're probably going to be held a little bit accountable for that, right? You're, you're going to read those chapters because you don't want to look stupid in your group talking about it. There's great sites like Meetup that you can find people that maybe you don't know but share the same interest and it's a support group or an accountability group or just a you know common like when I was researching this topic one of the groups that I thought was really cool was an amateur writing group and to be part of the group you have to commit that you're gonna write at least 2,000 words a week and I thought that's really cool because, you know, it's just like school. Teachers holding students accountable. In this writing group, the peers are holding everyone accountable. If you're not going to write 2,000 words a week, then don't join this group because that's the very minimum of what we expect out of you. Technology. Technology is a great way to be held accountable, right? We have apps for everything. Health apps. I Done This is a great app. Uh that lets you interact with other people. Whole Life Challenge is a great global network that lets you set goals globally and you can talk and meet up with people and be held accountable for what goals you're looking at to do globally. And like I said, technology is great, but there also becomes a point where things are beeping and buzzing and dinging and then all of a sudden we're just hitting basically the virtual snooze button on all of it 
because we know, I know that every day at 10 o'clock, I get my Google agenda for the day. And if I already know what I'm doing, I can't tell you how many times I just hit delete and I don't even read it. And then I end up forgetting something because there was some small change in my schedule defeats the whole purpose. So we just have to be careful when we're using technology that we just don't end up ignoring it. And here's the biggest one. And everyone knows where this is going because they know what my passions are. But write it down. Simply writing the goals down on paper can really transform an idea into tangible results. Writing it down can take it from your mind into creation. Post reminders and checklists all over the place. Write on that mirror. Hey, these are what my goals are. This is what I'm driving towards. Put that post-it note on your cubicle, on your computer, on the refrigerator, wherever you know, you're going to see it. Write it in your journal. And it's funny because when I first started journaling, I had to write myself notes reminding myself to write in a journal. So it's not always easy and the vessels don't always just start working. Sometimes it takes work just to get into habit. One of the big things that I love to do when I journal is I don't over journal ahead of time. When I get my best self journal, shameless plug right there, link on our website or my website if you want to order one, great journal. But it's a 13-week journal, but I don't sit down and fill out as much as I possibly can in the monthly calendar or the weekly calendars ahead of time. I found for me what works best is if I pick a day of the week, usually Sunday, and I write out the next week following that Sunday. Um, I end my weeks on Sunday. I like starting on Mondays. So I'll do the Sunday, the last night of the week, and fill out all the information for the next week. And that's as far as I go. Unless there's something really, really super important, then I'll, then I'll add it into the monthly planner. But sometimes I feel like we just bog ourselves down by writing so much and just doing this complete, you know, mind vomit on the page, as I like to call it. It's okay to have white spaces in your journal. It's okay to have days where you don't really have anything you need to be accountable for other than waking up and taking care of yourself physically for that day. So find that routine. Uh, maybe for another episode we'll talk about, I was just reading a study where writing something in a certain color ink actually has better retention than other colors of ink. I won't give it all away now because who knows, that could be the whole five-minute show is, hey, this color works better. But there's a science out there saying that writing in certain colors and certain methods actually has better retention and holds you accountable a little bit better. So I said we were going to kind of look at the science and what goes into the science of accountability. And all these studies, I'll have references in the notes if you want to check it out. But one of the ones that I thought was really cool was a 2011 study um, by Jennifer Henderlong from Reed College. And it was about how accountability of process versus the person affects the results. And obviously, 
the big buzzwords that are going around is mindset and growth mindset and Dweck's worth on all of that. But what they found was even in accountability that having people that hold you accountable more for the process and less of what your ability or your outcome is has better results from an accountability standpoint. So holding someone to their processes and making sure they're doing the processes is more important than the actual outcome of those processes from an accountability standpoint. And I think that's huge because a lot of times we think about the end goal and I'm hold, being held accountable to create this episode of the podcast. But maybe what I need is to be held more accountable for the process. Hey, are you setting time? How's that time coming to do your podcast? Or, hey, have you found that quiet spot? Or, hey, have you created that outline? How's that going? Instead of just looking at the whole thing, actually looking at the process and being held accountable for the process. And then hopefully, because the process is good and I'm held accountable for the process, I don't have a stinky podcast. Maybe all my podcasts are stinky and that's what it is. I don't care. But for me, it's therapy. So I'm going to continue to do it. But the fact that I have Tim riding me about finishing these podcasts is what helps motivate me. It's a single voice. Maybe it would be worse if I was flooded, if I had a ton of people riding me about it, maybe it would demotivate me. But right now, having that really strong singular voice has been great for me. It has been motivating. It hasn't been demotivating at all. In fact, I have a million things I got to do today, but I cut out the two hours that it usually takes to do a single episode today to do it because I know I'm going to get that text message at some point today from Tim making fun of me about my new episode that isn't available. One of the other studies that I found pretty interesting was the study by Enzel and Anderson. It's from 1993, and it's about surveillance intentions and intrinsic motivation. And really, it's a pretty pretty big study that goes into four facets of, of motivation and intention. But one of, the, one of the key ones that I wanted to think about was how motivated are people if they know someone is watching them? And then also, in a subset of that, what is the relationship between the person watching them or, you know, being surveillant and the person doing the tasks? And does that affect them? So in a very basic nutshell, in their experiment, they had control groups where they had some people performing a task without anyone watching them. They had some people watch doing a task with random people watching them and the third group they had them doing a task with people watching them that they had some sort of relationship whether it was a family member a peer co-worker boss type situation and they wanted to see multiple things from each of these groups including is there what's the motivation level for each of the different groups, knowing whether they were being watched or not watched and who was watching them. 
And it was also interesting to see what their um, behavioral measures were. Basically, were they were pe people doing things because they thought that that's what the the person surveilling them wanted to see? Did they change their methods? Did they change their style? Or did they continue doing it the way they just did it because it's their way and they didn't care that they were being watched? And I thought that aspect of accountability is interesting. Do you change how you do something because you're being held accountable for it? For example, if I had to deliver a package from my house to a business but wasn't really held accountable for it, would it change how I did it? And at first I thought, no, I would just deliver the package. But then again, I started to think about it. If I was held accountable for delivering that package, I would change how I'd do it. All of a sudden, I'm now scheduling it. I'm planning it. I'm thinking about the route that I'm going to take, how I'm going to transport it, what I'm going to transport the item in. Whereas before, if I wasn't really held accountable, if it made it, it made it. If it didn't, it didn't. It might be one of those where I'm out getting gas or getting lunch. I'm like, oh, hey, I'm going to go deliver that package now. Whereas if I have someone holding me accountable, making sure that package gets delivered, all of a sudden, I'm scheduling and changing my life around that. So, of course, then I dig deeper and I start thinking about how coaching. And it's interesting because I feel like as an assistant coach, I was held to be more accountable than I was as a head coach in the grand scheme of things. Obviously, from an administration standpoint, the head coach is usually held accountable you know, through the athletic director or the owners of the team or the managers of the team. But... As an assistant coach, I always had the head coach that I had to report to and had to show results to and justify what I was doing. On a day-to-day -day basis, though, as a head coach, I don't know that I really have those checks and balances. Now, I can say that I personally do because my assistant coaching staff really does hold me accountable for what we're doing, and we hold each other accountable. But think about that if you're a head coach. If you walked in today to your team or if you're a band instructor, if you walked into your band or your orchestra and you just said, today we're going to do and insert something basic. Today we're just going to do free throws. That's it. Or today we're not going to practice at all. We're just going to watch film or we're going to read a book or we're going to watch this video to help motivate us. Is there anyone holding you accountable for that plan? Is there anyone that's saying, uh, hey, wait, we got this big game tomorrow night. Are you sure this is what we want to do? And a lot of times we don't, and that's where we're missing out on accountability. We have to surround ourselves by people, especially as coaches or professionals, that are willing in a respectful manner and in a group manner, harmonious manner, hold us accountable. I need a staff that's going to say to me, hey, I'm not so sure this is the best idea. We need to stay on track. 
because seasons are long. Even if you have a short, technically a short season, three months, high school coach, any sport, pick it. In the grand scheme of life, your seasons aren't that long. It feels sometimes like they go forever. And there's times you want to phone it in. But who holds you accountable? You hold your assistants, you hold your staff, you hold your players accountable. But who holds you accountable? And it goes that way all across life. How much do you share with your partner? How much do you and your partner hold each other accountable for what you guys are doing as your family or your unit? You know, whatever terminology you would like to use. And if you're an administrator, who holds you responsible? We always talk about the coaches going to the athletic directors. Who holds the athletic directors accountable for things? Now, obviously, let's say school boards or governance boards, you know, at the college level and the presidents of the colleges and the supervisor of the schools um, are, are ultimately, you know, the ones that have direct control usually over those athletic directors or those administrators. But on the day-to-day basic things, the building of a program, what you want to accomplish, who is holding you accountable? And we have to develop that culture. We have to be comfortable enough that we can have our assistants, our peers, our coworkers respectfully hold us accountable. But everyone's afraid to do it, right? Because we all know that person that's going to flip out the minute you try and hold them accountable. But that's why we need to train it and have discussions and talk about these things. About holding each other accountable. So I challenge you, if you're a coach listening to this, if you're the head coach listening to this, I challenge you to have this discussion with your assistants and make sure they're holding you accountable for your decisions and your processes just as much as you hold them and your players accountable. And the real challenge is try having your players, your students, whatever realm you're in, the, the workers below you, have them hold you accountable. That's not going to be an easy job. Not at all, right? So, That's the challenge. That's what this whole podcast is about. It's easy to say, hey, this is who I'm accountable to or for. I'm accountable to myself. That's an easy cop out. But how do we create that culture of accountability? How do we have this conversation with our players and say, hey, look, I know you're 13, 14, 15 years old, and I've been coaching for longer than you've been alive. But as a team, I want you to, to hold me accountable for what I'm doing. Now, we may not agree, and I might pull the, hey, I'm the coach, and this is how we're doing it. But at least having that conversation and being able to have that open conversation will have me thinking about my process. 
I guarantee you that if a team comes up to you and says, Coach, you said we were going to do this for three weeks. We haven't done it. Can we look at it? And you say, no, we got other important things. I guarantee you're at least going to look at it. It might be while you're laying in bed ready to go to sleep, you might revisit the situation, but at least you're going to look at it. And again, I'm not talking about giving your team the power. I'm not saying, hey, let the high school kids run your program. But I'm saying there has to be some two-way accountability. It will help you in the long run. The other thing that I saw and found was a great study called The Accounting of Effects of Accountability by Jennifer Lerner from Carnegie Mellon and Philip Tetlock of Ohio State. And again, you can check the references. I'll make sure they're in there and you can, you know, pull these articles up. But in their study, it looked at four issues. What impact do various accountability ground rules have on thoughts, feelings, and actions? Under what conditions will account accountability attenuate, have no effect, or amplify biases? Does accountability alter how people think or merely what people say they think? And what goals do accountability decision makers seek to achieve? I mean, we could literally talk about this article for hours. But I thought the part that was great is under what conditions will accountability attenuate, have no effect, or amplify our cognitive biases? Do we change how we act and what we do when there's accountability? And I venture to say yes. I think we coach differently. I think we teach differently. I think we play differently. Simply when someone's observing us. Because we perceive, perceive, sorry, perceive that as accountability, right? For some reason, just having an observer makes us change how we do things. Because we think we're going to be accountable to that person. Whether or not we actually are, or the opinion of the person watching us has any bearing or any actual weight on what we're doing. But I think that concept is great. That simply having observers synthetically makes accountability. Does it change how we think? Or does it just change what we say we think? Meaning if I am held accountable to you as my boss, am I going to tell you 
Am I going to change the way I think? Or am I just going to tell you what I think you need to hear? And that is a huge pitfall with accountability. You know, that's part of some of the issue that I take with all these personality profiles, DISC, Myers-Briggs, all that, that coaches are giving players to try and figure things out. That's a huge fallback is how do you know that that player, especially children, adolescents, are actually telling you what they think as opposed to telling you what they think you want to hear? So now you're not actually getting a true representation of what that person can do or the task that they're doing. They're giving you what they think you want to hear. And that really does change everything about the process, right? So again, it goes back to having those honest conversations. You owe it to your boss to have this conversation about accountability. You owe it to your coworkers. You owe it to the people below you that maybe you manage or that you coach to have this conversation about accountability. What does accountability mean to you? And who holds you accountable for what you're doing? What are those ground rules? And of course, this would tie into our very first episode of our coaching philosophy show. Maybe accountability is a piece of your coaching philosophy that you add into it. Hey, this is how I want my team and my staff and everything around the team, the team within the team and the team around the team, to hold each other accountable. I know that I hold my assistant coaches accountable for their duties, but I also know that they keep me in check. And nine out of ten times, it's a pleasant conversation, but sometimes you just need that kick in the butt. You need that cold shower of reality sometimes. But I think most people fail as they climb up the ladder because the higher you get, it seems sometimes the less accountability you have. There's always less checks and balances the higher you get up the ladder. And I think that sometimes needs to be swapped or reevaluated. Who is going to hold me accountable for these podcasts? And it's Tim. That, and again, that's why this is Be A Tim. I want you all to be a Tim. Be a Tim to someone and find a Tim for you. No, maybe it's your spouse. Maybe you have that talk like, hey, I want to try and lose some weight. I need you to be accountable. Now, I don't need you to make farm animal noises if I'm eating more calories than I said I wanted to. That's not going to be the best method. I'm not going to call you out in the middle of a restaurant in front of everyone. But what is the level of accountability? How can you hold me accountable to help me reach my goals, to become a better person? 
And we're not talking about, again, a media frenzy. We're not talking about the fans of Pittsburgh holding Mike Tomlin accountable for the Pittsburgh Steelers. That's not being held accountable. That's just opinion inventing. But ultimately, you would hope that a coach like that, for example, would surround themselves with assistant coaches and staff that say, hey, this is what we need from you, or maybe this is what we need you to change, or hey, you said we were going to do this, let's not abandon it. The minute we become the only person in charge and in control of everything is when things start to slip away because we lose that accountability. And we can make up all the excuses. We can say, I don't need anyone holding me accountable because if customers are buying my product, then that's how I know I'm being held accountable. They're buying my product. If they're not buying my product, then that's how they're holding me accountable, that my product stinks and I need to relook at it. Again, I just don't buy that. Mainly because at that point, I think it's too late. You spent all that time developing a product and no one's buying it. I would rather have people that during the process and around me might hold me accountable. Hey, you said we were going to have this part done by this deadline. Are we going to make it? I mean, this is a whole basis basis of the American educational system, right? The teachers are holding the students accountable. Building staff, principals hold the teachers accountable. But what if we change that model a little bit? What if we had more input from the students or more teacher-to-teacher peer input and holding each other accountable? And I'm starting to see it. In the 80s and 90s, if I would have went to a teacher and said, hey, I don't understand what you're teaching. Do you think maybe we can revisit? (laughs) I definitely wouldn't have said it this way. Maybe, Maybe we can revisit how you're presenting the material to the students so we can grasp it better. Again, nine out of ten times, I bet the response would be, no, it's your learning. It's not my delivery. It's not my teaching. It's how you're learning. And a lot of times it may be. I'm not putting this on any of the teachers. I had a nice educational experience in high school. Some really good, some really bad, just like everyone else. But I would think that the people that you're delivering the message to would be a great source of accountability as opposed to a peer that might be teaching the same class but not the same students. They don't have those exact formulas and the makeup and the nuances that each individual class has. They're just a peer teaching the same class. And maybe what was successful for them isn't successful for you. So that is my challenge to everyone as I bring this episode to a close. Figure out how you can find and create a relationship with someone that can hold you accountable 
for your goals and what you're doing. And it can be multiple people for multiple goals. It does not have to be one person. Tim is literally my accountability mechanism for podcasting. We have great conversations about other things. We're both fans of Gold Rush, pro wrestling. But he holds me accountable for pod, for podcasting. Someone else holds me accountable for my day-to-day coaching or for my social media, which is that's the other one. That's that's my big one right now. I need to I need to get accountability for my lack of social media marketing. And I recognize that. So I'm going to figure out, I'm probably going to go with an outside group for that so that they hold me to the fire a little bit more. So I want you to find your Tim for one thing. One thing that you do on a regular basis that sometimes you forget or you're unmotivated about. I want you to find your Tim. And on the flip side, you know where this is going, I want you to be a Tim. I want you to reach out to a coworker, a boss, someone you supervise, a student that you coach. Be their Tim. Hold them accountable. Learn to have that accountability discussion. Because it isn't just about, hey, you said you were going to do this. Holding someone accountable means helping them achieve their goal. Not calling them out because they didn't make their goal. Not calling them out because they're off track. Holding someone accountable is helping them achieve their goal. There you have it. A little bit shorter episode. But I felt like this one needed to be done now so that Tim would get off my butt about it. But I thought it would be a great concept. As a lot of us are ending fall sports and club sports are starting and new people are starting jobs as the seasons change, I thought it would be a great way to sit down and reevaluate. Have that discussion with your team. Call that meeting with your team, your work group, whatever situation you're in. And go over how how are we currently being held accountable for things and how can we change it to help everyone achieve and raise their level of production or performance in what we're doing. All right, so in closing, thank you for taking the time to listen to this. Remember, you can hit us up on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at 717soul. And reach out to us with the hashtag Ask717Soul. And hopefully we'll add you to a future Q&A episode. That will be next week's episode. I have a bunch of questions that have come in. And we're going to just kind of go through them and answer them and see if we can help some people out. But I love your feedback. Feel free. Shoot me that email. Info at 717Soul.com will get to me. Twitter, Instagram. Facebook. Please don't forget to check out the Soul Performance Journal, the Don't Suck Performance Journal, on sale at Blurb 1999. Would love for you to pick up a copy. 
And until next time, everyone, train the brain. And of course, as always, don't suck. This has been Dan Mickle signing out. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Mental Cast. Please remember to follow us on all social media at 717Soul and drop by our Facebook and Twitter pages to leave us your comments and your show ideas. And don't forget, the official Don't Suck Performance Journal is now available for purchase online. Visit 717Soul.com slash DSPJ. That's 717Soul.com slash DSPJ for more information and to order your copy today. Have a great Great day, and remember, don't suck.